Today we are in uh, Acts chapter 13 and 14. We're working through the book of Acts this summer. Um, it really, the outline of the book of Acts, it's, it's summarized in chapter 1 when Jesus gives his last words to his disciples and he gives them this promise. He says, stay in Jerusalem and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth and that's the outline that we're following now as we go through the book of Acts so we're to the ends of the earth part of the story now as the gospel is rippling out not just in Jerusalem or among the Jews in the province of Judea not just in that neighboring province but now going all the way out through the Roman Empire to the ends of the earth people from every tongue tribe and nation hearing the good news of Jesus in the back of your Bible you may have a series of maps where we are today in Acts chapter 13 and 14 would be the map for Paul's first missionary journey. Sorry, I'm having troubles here. Get that hooked on. Or there's a, there's a picture of it there that you can take a look at. So this is the, the, the chapters that are covered, chapters 13 and 14, the journey that Paul takes now as he's sent off from Antioch. Paul and Barnabas together. John is with them at the beginning of the story. And then traveling throughout Asia Minor, bringing the good news of King Jesus to many different locations. The, the island of Cyprus, Barnabas' hometown, and then up into Asia Minor, hitting some cities there. When I'm reading these two chapters, it reminds me of a creative writing assignment that I had in elementary school that's still in that packet of memories. And you have that stuff? Hopefully it's a small packet, not cases of it, because you may need to move someday and pare that down. So I've got this one little, uh, big, en- big, <laughs> little big envelope with some of those different art projects and, and you know the papers that I got an A on. And in that packet, there's a little booklet that I had to do in first or second grade. And the whole outline was fortunately and unfortunately. So mine had to do with aliens and spaceships and things like that. This story, it it reminds me of that fortunately and unfortunately type of an approach where fortunately God opens a door. Unfortunately, there's persecution. Fortunately, someone is healed. Unfortunately, there's more persecution. Fortunately, there's an opportunity to preach in the synagogue on a Sabbath day. And people respond. Unfortunately, more persecution and hardship. This is really the feel of chapters 13 and 14, back and forth. But we know that it has nothing to do with fortune, has nothing to do with luck. This is all the hand of God and the confrontation between the kingdom of God and those who are opposed to God's kingdom. So it's more than just a series of fortunate or unfortunate events. This is the sovereign God spreading the good news of his kingdom, the the mission that he's entrusted to his people uh, not just back in the book of Acts, but today as well, to spread the news of King Jesus until he returns. So we're going to touch on some of the sections here. I encourage you to dig in deeply to chapters 13 and 14 and really open your heart up to how God is calling you to proclaim good news no matter what the outcome is. Times of hardship, times of joy, he is faithful and he'll, he'll use you as you proclaim the good news of the king. So let's take a look here at the beginning of chapter 13. As we get into the story, it says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who's called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. The church in Antioch is blessed. There's five names mentioned of those who are gifted with prophecy and with teaching. 
And we know that spiritual gifts come from God's Holy Spirit. We see this theme throughout the New Testament. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. There are gifts that the Spirit gives to the church, and they are given to build up the body, to glorify God. And so these are the gifts that were given to the church in Antioch, a few of the gifts. Prophecy and teaching are not the only spiritual gifts, but we see right here at the beginning of chapter 13, there are many gifted people in the area of prophecy, proclaiming Jesus, and and teaching there at the church in Antioch. And what I believe is that whenever there are a group of believers assembled together, the Holy Spirit is at work gifting people to use the full range of gifts that are given by God's Spirit to build up the body and glorify Jesus. And what happens is when there is an over-concentration of people gifted in the area of prophecy and teaching in one location, and then maybe in an adjacent location, there's a deficiency, a a need for more prophets and teachers. The Holy Spirit can work that out. And that's exactly what we see here in this case. So, you know, in your life group at your house, there will be various gifts that are given. And there may be a, a lack of one particular spiritual gift. You know, God has someone in mind that he wants to give that gift to. It could be a neighbor who does not yet know Jesus. And so the person with the gift of evangelism shares good news with that neighbor, and they come to, to Jesus, and now they join that group, and they begin to use that gift to bless and to edify, to build up, and to bring glory to God. That's the way God's Spirit works. And within our church as well, there's a gift that is given to you. It's not a gift that you can wear on your lapel as a badge of honor. Say, look at me, I have the gift of hospitality. I'm somebody special. But it's a gift that you can, with pride, give to King Jesus and say, I use this for your glory. And then you can serve and bless and give, and and he gets all the glory and honor. That's exactly what we see happening here. As this concentration of prophets and teachers is there in Antioch, listen to what happens next. Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Interesting that God's Holy Spirit speaks not in the middle of a sermon, but during a time of worship and fasting. Worship and fasting. Worship directing affection to the Creator God. And fasting, concentrating our appetites in a different direction than where they normally go. And those two things going hand in hand, God speaks in that setting. And what does he do? Well, the Holy Spirit is at work. He's aware of what's happening there in Antioch. He's aware of some of the other needs throughout Asia Minor, that there's a lot of people who do not have uh, access to prophets and teachers who can proclaim God's word in a way that will be comprehensible to the hearers. And so the Holy Spirit says, okay, I'm going to set apart a couple of these teachers. You've got five. Two of them are going to be sent out. And he speaks during that time of God's people, focusing their affections and their appetites on God. Now, a lot of times when we seek direction in our lives, it's for those little decisions, those little minor decisions about who should I marry? What should I do with my life? Where should I live? Should I take that promotion? Where should I work? And I say that somewhat flippantly, that those are minor decisions. In our minds, those are huge decisions. And yet all of those decisions have to do with this side of eternity kind of living. And here God is speaking in a big way, in a way that really 
encompasses and embodies that kingdom mission for his church to proclaim good news here, there, and everywhere. And he's orchestrating events and using willing vessels, both those who are willing to go and those who are willing to send. And he speaks during a time of worship and fasting. If you want to hear from God, I'd encourage you to follow the pattern that we've seen here in verse 2. Take time to worship and to fast. When I fast, believe me, every time I walk past that kitchen door, that, that refrigerator door, I'm reminded of my base, carnal, instinctual appetites that I have. And it's a constant reminder of how much I hunger and thirst after the things of this life rather than hungering and thirsting after the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And yet Jesus promises us that blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they will be filled, they will be satisfied. Fasting is a way of concentrating our appetites on the things that please God and on His heart. And as we do that, we will see the Holy Spirit speaking and directing us as well. Now, how, do they, how does the early church respond here in verse 3 when they've heard now clearly from the Holy Spirit of what they are to do? Verse 3, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. There's more fasting. There's prayer. Once again, you know, they've already heard from God. This is not a, a time of fasting and prayer to twist God's arm into getting Him to reveal His will to them. He's already revealed His will. He's already spoken by His Spirit. And after they've already heard from God, they take more time to fast and pray. I think it's to get their hearts in the right place. Prayer is a way of aligning our hearts with God's heart. Prayer is a way of getting our minds in tune with the thoughts of God. And fasting, once again, is a way of saying, okay, there is a way of living that is fixed on me and my desires, and I want to put that to death and go after the kingdom of God and His righteousness, the things that please Him. And so the church, maybe they needed that time of fasting and prayer to be able to release these two gifted teachers from their midst, the church in Antioch. It's a sacrifice to send off a couple of gifted guys like Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement. Man, God, really, do you need to take these two guys? This is the most encouraging guy in our church, and you're sending him off? What about this other knucklehead? Don't you have a, a gifting for him somewhere else in Asia Minor? And yet God knows what he's about and he knows his plan and he's appointed Paul and Barnabas to go into his kingdom mission. And so now they begin their journey and really uh, there, there's a variety of geographical locations mentioned. I think the map may help you to kind of visualize as they're going, but in verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went to Seleucia. From there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews and they had John to assist them. So they begin this journey of following after God, obeying the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who sends. This was not a grand scheme of the church in Antioch. It wasn't their plans. It wasn't in their power. There were no committee meetings. No high-level decisions made. No hierarchical structure administrating all this. It wasn't in their power. It wasn't in their plan. It wasn't their message. The message of the book of Acts is that this is the Holy Spirit's power. He's the one who empowers. It, it's the Holy Spirit's plan. Church in Antioch was happy 
going through the day-by-day activities of enjoying fellowship together, sharing their resources, growing in faith, proclaiming Jesus right there at home. That was their plan, but the Holy Spirit had a plan. And as they worshiped and as they fasted and in their times of prayer, He spoke. And it was the Holy Spirit sending. As they go, they go proclaiming the Word of God. What is the Word of God? What's that word logos in Greek? What is the Word of God? Well, really, there's two aspects. There is the the written Word of God, the proclaimed Word of God uh, that, that is revealed in Scripture. And as Paul and Barnabas and John go, they do go to the synagogues proclaiming the law and the prophets, the Word of God that they had at that time. The New Testament was still being written. So they were proclaiming from the Old Testament prophecies to tie into Jesus the Messiah. But also the word is used to refer to Jesus often in the Gospels. Jesus is the word of God. He's the living, embodied word of God. And so as they go proclaiming the word of God, they're going proclaiming King Jesus to places where he is not yet known. That's what Jesus promised in Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So as they go, they're proclaiming the written and the revealed Word of God through Jesus, the Messiah. What does it mean to proclaim? Well, the word proclaim, uh, again, that, that has to do with both words and actions. This is the me- method that Jesus used. In Luke chapter 4, his first sermon, as he opens that scroll of Isaiah, there in the, in the temple on, on Sabbath, and he reads from chapter 61 of Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's not just a sermon that you take notes on in your bulletin there on that Sabbath day. As Jesus reads from Isaiah 61 and He's proclaiming good news and healing, and deliverance, and recovering of sight to the blind. He then launches a, a ministry of actually doing that. And in, in the wake of Jesus' proclamation of good news, there are, there's all kinds of carnage of blind people who now see, and lame people who now walk, and demon-possessed people who are now at liberty and free, and the hungry who are fed. And it's a good outcome as good news is proclaimed in word and deed. It's the same pattern we see here in the early church. As they go out, as the word of God is added to and multiplied, there are signs and wonders that follow. There are people who are healed. There's deliverance that occurs. The proclamation of good news in both word and in deed. The Holy Spirit has empowered not just the believers there in the book of Acts, but right here, in Aurora, Colorado, in the year 2018, the Holy Spirit is poured out and is available for us to be empowered to proclaim good news. Are we on board with God's kingdom mission? I think there are some lessons that we can learn from this church in Antioch that we need to take time to fast and to pray and then to send and to go as He calls and leads. It's very easy to get fixed on our agendas, our plan, our strategy, or just the day-to-day. Just being in survival mode. 
What's on the agenda for today? What do I need to do to make it through until I can collapse into bed tonight? Anybody else ever feel like that? And yet there's a bigger strategy and a bigger plan and there's a bigger kingdom than just my little world and my priorities. And so to take that time, if we're too busy to fast and pray, we're too busy. So if we want to hear from God, if we want to be directed by His Spirit, if we want to be those who are willing to go where He leads and are willing to send and release those from our church family or our own families that He calls, we need to get our heart beating with His heart and our mind fixed on the things that are dear to His heart, that are priorities to Him. We see uh, really a theme here that God's people are people on the move. It's, it's easy for us to start building our own empires, collecting cash in our 401ks, getting that dream home, that forever home paid off, sinking down roots, settling in. And yet really the pattern we see in the book of Acts is God's people are people on the move. God calls and sends And there's a reminder of the difference between those eternal things of God and these temporary things of this life. So we see here now many, many locations mentioned as as they cross over to Cyprus and then walk across the entire island proclaiming good news and then sail to the north and travel throughout various regions following God, going where he leads. That, That word sending that we've seen a couple times here already, there's various Greek words behind that word in, in verse 3, we saw that after fasting and praying, they, they the, the believers there in Antioch, laid their hands on Barnabas and Paul that the Holy Spirit had designated and then sent them off. That's the Greek word apolusin, which is to release. So it's like they've, they've been hanging on to these guys. You know, they're, they're beloved brothers that are gifted. They've been a blessing to the church in Antioch. And the Holy Spirit says, I need those guys for a mission. And so the church sends them off in the sense of releasing them. In the very next verse, there's a different word used for send. In verse 4, it says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, that word is ekpempo, to be sent out or to be sent away. This is the Holy Spirit sending them. They were in one location, now they're being sent out. Later, in this same chapter, there's another kind of sending that comes after one of these times of persecution. There's a, there's a sermon here by, by Paul, and there's some receptivity, there's some interest, there's some promises to both Jews and Gentiles. But then the next Sabbath day, as, as a larger crowd gathers, the Jews become jealous, and they start poisoning the hearts of the hearers, it says. And then there's a sending that happens in verse 50. It says, The Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. Another kind of sending. Ekbalo. To send away, to dismiss, to cast out. So they're being driven out now. God uses many methods of sending his people. Sometimes it's through the Holy Spirit speaking, saying, I'm calling you to be sent out. Sometimes it's through persecution, as we see here in chapter 13 and and many times in the book of Acts. And then finally, we see Paul and Barnabas referred to as sent out ones, chapter 14, 
verse 14. We're, we're going to read this passage together in just a moment. But just skipping ahead to verse 14, as they are now in Lystra, it says, when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard about the, what was happening there, and then it goes on to tell that story. That word apostle is another Greek word for to send. And that has to do with being a delegate or a messenger, one who is commissioned or sent out. Paul and Barnabas, who the Holy Spirit had spoken to at the church of Antioch and said, send them out, they're released. The Holy Spirit is sending them. There's times that they're cast out. They're referred to as the ones who are sent out, the ones who are commissioned. And that message is is said of each one of us. We are all called by God, sent on mission by Him, placed in specific locations, specific spheres of influence, particular relationships to proclaim good news in word and deed, to go as ambassadors of Jesus wherever He leads. And the decision falls to us. Are we willing to be people on the move? Are we willing to go when He says go? Follow where He leads? And really, I think to confront that question, what are the obstacles that would prevent me from going when God says it's time? Is it your family? Is it your property? Is it your security? Is it your dreams and aspirations? Those are all things that are passing. They're temporary. There will be a day when this life will end. And at that time, things will come into more clear perspective on where our values and priorities should be. But right now, there's an opportunity as we fast and pray to align our hearts with the King's heart to get a glimpse of His kingdom and His calling for us in that kingdom mission. And then to hold loosely the things of this life, including family members, property, careers, the dreams that we have, and say, God, I offer it all up to you. It's all from you. It's all for your glory. And the good news is he, he won't take it all away, generally, unless your name is Job. He, he will return those things back to you in a way that you can really enjoy them and, and delight in those things as gifts from God, not things to be grasped and held on to. Like the church in Antioch released Paul and Barnabas. There was a richer, deeper connection now, and they, they do return to Antioch. And so their fellowship continues at the end of this first missionary journey. And yet it was in God's direction and in God's timing. Imagine if they had said, no, Holy Spirit, we will not release them. There would have been no joy. They would have been stuck together in an unhealthy way. But now because of obedience and holding loosely and sending and going and being faithful, there's a beautiful connection that is able to continue on. Really, as a church, there are decisions that we are making daily in our practice, in our interaction with one another. And really, I think there's three types of churches. There are the welcoming churches whose message is come join us. Come as you are. No matter what your background is, you're welcome here. There's something for everyone. That's a great characteristic of a church to be a welcoming church. But there are some churches that that's Really the primary characteristic. Other churches are the committing churches. Stay with us. Be committed. Sign up for that church membership class coming up on July 29th listed in your bulletin. (laughs) Let's do life together. Let's go for authenticity and relationship. Join a life group. 
And there's real strengths to that priority and value as well. But there's a third category of church that we see described here in the book of Acts. And it's not the welcoming church. It's not the committing church. It's the sending church. And the sending church has a view to God's kingdom mission. That it's bigger than just being cooler than the next church down the street. It's bigger than just having some really close friends that we can follow Jesus together with. It's bigger than that. It's about being equipped, being empowered, being on mission from God, going when He says go, sending and releasing when His Spirit speaks, being focused on His kingdom mission above all else. And I think we should have characteristics of that welcoming church and that committing church as well. But my heart is that we would be a, a church like the book of Acts, the church in Antioch that is a sending church. A church that not just let's all get together for the sake of getting together, but let's get together to get charged up, energized, and then sent out into the kingdom mission that he has for us, for his glory, for his kingdom purposes, spreading the news of King Jesus. As we do that, there will be times of joy and hardship. Let's look at one example here again. Chapters 13 and 14, it's back and forth from the good things and the bad things. But this is a very good example in chapter 14, verse 8, of one of these specific incidents, one of these specific events where the, the, the hearts and minds of, the, of Paul and Barnabas are like a yo-yo on a string. The ups and downs of going out on mission from King Jesus. They're now in Lystra, verse 8. At Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. That's a good day. There's a power encounter. There's a miraculous healing in Jesus' name and for his glory. I'm sure Paul and Barnabas were excited at this point. God has used them in the life of this man who's been crippled since birth. There's joy. But now we find out something else about Lystra. Verse 11. When the crowds saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Lycaonian, now note that, they're speaking in a different language, these words. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. Picture yourself as Paul and Barnabas. You're on a mission from God. The Holy Spirit has spoken to your home church, said, you know, these guys are gifted Teachers, encouragers, we've got to send them out because there's regions that have not yet known good news and now they're faithfully going on this journey, following the adventure as God leads. And one day in Lystra, God uses them to perform a healing miracle. Next thing you know, there's a lot of activity going on. People are speaking in this Lacaonian language that they don't speak. They're not sure what they're saying. There's oxen coming in. Everybody's pretty excited. They're smiling at you. And then they, they call someone over who's fluent in Aramaic and Laconian to say, hey, could, could you explain, what are they saying exactly? What's taking place here? 
oh, well, this is the, um, the priest of Zeus. He's preparing to offer sacrifice to you. And the people are declaring that you are gods and they're, they're going to worship you. Verse 14. When the apostles, the sent out ones, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying out, Men! Why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. This is really a contextual message to the pagans there in Lystra. Paul's not bringing in a lot of Old Testament quotations into this sermon. He's tying into some things that they would understand. Sounds like Romans 1 to me. Romans chapter 1, read that and compare it to this passage. You'll see some similarities. God has revealed Himself through nature. It's enough revelation to make you accountable. You can clearly see God's fingerprints on His creation. If He's provided rain from heaven, and you saw that every harvest season, those cycles, those are examples of God's gifts and His grace. That was enough for you to know and then reject him. And so you can now be held accountable for rejecting the creator, the maker of heaven and earth. That's the message of repentance that Paul is bringing here to the church at Lystra. And yet, really it doesn't appear that it's a very effective sermon this day because the last verse of this section before we get to the next section verse 18 even with these words they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them now now this this chapter 14 healing story of a crippled man is really in contrast to the story that we see earlier in the book of acts in chapter 3 where there's another man who's been paralyzed since birth who's healed and on that day as peter is involved in that healing time. There's a sermon that follows. Many are added to the church. So back in chapter 3, there's a miraculous healing and a sermon, and there's an understanding and awareness, and there's people who repent and turn to God and follow. And yet this time at Lystra, there's a miraculous healing, there's a sermon, and yet there's still confusion. There's still people worshiping other humans rather than having their attention focused on God. I'm not sure what to make of that, other than to say there's not a pattern. It's about being led by the Holy Spirit, being empowered by Him, being guided and led. And and we don't hear the end of the story at Lystra. Perhaps there's, these are the first seeds that are planted and there's, there's more fruit to come down the road. I think the healing is still a good thing. And yet it hasn't bridged that connection for people to worship the one true God, the maker of heaven and earth. Truth is being proclaimed. Truth is going out. Some of that seed falls on fertile soil that's prepared to send down roots and to bring a harvest. 
In other places, there's hardness of heart. There's cracked, dry soil. There's weeds that choke out the truth. These are the messages that Jesus prepared the church for as we go on mission from Him. Really, the call to us as believers is to draw on the Spirit's power to go where He calls us and then leave the results up to Him. Use the gifts that He's given to us faithfully and allow Him to bring the harvest. And so, you know, really this has been a very strange day at Lystra. From a healing to uh, people worshiping them to trying to clarify that. But to go from, you know, verse 18, Paul and Barnabas, like, guys, no, seriously, do not worship us. Thank you, this is flattering. But honestly, we're just men like you. There is a God. He's the maker of heaven and earth. No, stop trying to sacrifice to us. Look at the very next verse. The hardships that come on this journey. But Jews from Antioch and Iconium came and persuaded the crowds and stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city supposing that he was dead. This is all in the same day. You've got people worshiping you and then being convinced to stone you. You ever have days at work that feel kind of like this? There's joy and hardship that comes. And really, I think it gets to that heart of where is our lasting hope? Is it in the things of this life? Is it in the praise of man? The humans in our lives are very fickle. And they will at times offer praise and at other times offer criticism. I know this isn't rocket science. We're all, we're all very aware of this, right? I heard a good, a good piece of advice. Pray and ask God to help you to not allow praise to go to your head or criticism to go to your heart. That praise, it can come from a variety of sources. It can come from ulterior motives, hidden agendas, can come from people trying to butter you up so they can get something out of you. It can come from just nice people who praise everybody. Or it can come because God is speaking through that person to bring encouragement. It's really hard to sort out praise. Criticism, thank, same thing. can come from jealousy like we saw the Jews in chapter 13. Criticism can come from people who are just crabby and mean to everyone they meet. Criticism can come because sometimes we do stupid things. But to really take a look at that and not internalize the praise and criticism that comes our way, to offer it up to God and say, God, help me to walk each day faithfully, to follow after you, to care more about what you say about me than what these other mere mortals say, and yet, Lord, to humbly receive the criticism that I need to hear so I can make course corrections along the way, knowing that you're not done with me, to be free and gracious in giving praise to others because life is hard and everybody could use more encouragement. And really that's what we see from Paul and Barnabas now uh, at, the, at the end of this story. Uh, a couple verses down, but let, let's see what happens immediately after the stoning. Now, Paul is stoned and injured and harmed to the point of looking like he's dead. But look what happens next in verse 20. When the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, 
he went on with Barnabas to Derby. Just look at all those words there in verse 20. The church is together. The disciples, the followers of Jesus are gathered together. They're encircling the one who's wounded. It's a great picture of the church. Now, unfortunately, there are times that when someone is beat up and wounded and injured, and we don't have a category for that, it's easier to just kind of pretend like I didn't see them. You know, they may not want to talk about it. And yet, here we have the believers getting involved and, and encircling this one who's wounded and injured. And God's power is there as they gather around Paul. If you are in one verse lying there dead after being hit with stones, where the people that are trying to kill you think that they have accomplished their purpose, and in the very next verse you're standing up and going to another city, that's a miracle. And there's a miracle that happens as God's people encompass the one who's wounded and injured. And he's able to continue on his kingdom mission even through this follower, this disciple who's been injured along the journey. God is the one who called Paul. The Holy Spirit said, leave Antioch and go on this mission that I have for you. God is the one empowering him. God is the one healing him. God is the one giving him the strength to carry on whether there's joy or hardship on the journey. That gathered church. And he's not just following along with Barnabas. Look in verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city in Derby and had made many disciples, they returned to, I hope you're noting all these location names, returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Okay? <laughs> Where... Where did they have this, these people trying to offer sacrifices to them? Laconia. Where did the Jews come from to poison the minds of these people who participated in the stoning? They came from Antioch and Iconium. And where does Paul go right back to after a brief time of recovery? Probably with some lumps on his head, so, you know, bloody fat lip, some abrasions. He's right back there probably talking to Barnabas going, you know, I think these people still need to hear about King Jesus. I'm, I'm gauging by the whole stoning incident that there's more good news to be proclaimed there. So I guess it's you and I, right, brother? Let's go. And they return right to these dangerous places where they faced opposition and hardship because they're not thinking about this life. They're thinking about the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And along the way, now listen what they're doing as they're Encountering believers in these locations. Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. I think the believers in Laconia and in Antioch and Iconium, or in Lystra, Antioch and Iconium, would get the message. The guy with teeth missing is saying, hey, hang in there. There's going to be tribulation that comes. He's faithful. God's at work. I think they would sit up and pay attention to that sermon. And finally, verse 23, when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting 
they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So there is a discipleship plan. There's, a, uh, there's an ongoing work of equipping and empowering. Just as the church in Antioch took from its resources the, the prophets and teachers that were there and as the Holy Spirit led, released them and sent them off. Now as Paul and Barnabas are traveling through these other cities in Asia Minor, they're making sure that there is a system in place within each church where discipleship and equipping can, can continue on. They're appointing elders, those who will shepherd God's flock, those who, are, who will look over the flock of God at that location and to bring the encouragement, the teaching that's needed as the times of tribulation come, that their souls will be strengthened, that they will continue in the faith. And then there's once again this bathing all decisions and all activity in prayer and in fasting. The very end of this passage, as we saw at the beginning. God, focus our affections on you. Focus our appetites on you. May we hunger and thirst after you, not after those other desires that are so easy to chase after. I think as we come to the end of this story in Acts 13 and 14. I'm challenged by my own appetites and my own desires. As I read these stories, I'm reminded of the need to spend more time in prayer and fasting. And I put a challenge out here for each of us as believers, as families, as a church to devote time this week. Pick a day. Maybe look at your your agenda for the week and see the day that's the most free, the day with the least amount of scattered, hurried activity, and say, that's the day I'm going to spend time in prayer and in fasting to hear God's direction for my life and to ask for his direction for our church. Who has he equipped to send out to a place where Jesus is not yet known? Be careful when you make that prayer because you may look in the mirror And God might tap you on the shoulder and say, yep, you're the one who's gifted and I'm calling you to go. But let's pray that God will make us ascending church. That he'll allow us to hold loosely the desires that we have to submit them to him. To realign our affections and our appetites with the things that please him. What are the opportunities that he's put before us? Who is he calling us to reach? despite the joy and the hardship that may come to leave it all up to Him and bring glory to His name. Why don't we take time at, as we close to pray and commit, commit ourselves to Him and ask that He would speak to each of us and guide us. I'm going to ask if there's a closing song, ask the worship team to come up. And let's stand together as we pray. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you call and choose and use people just like those gathered in this room today. Thank you, God, that you had a heart for people in Lystra and Iconium and Antioch and all throughout that region of Asia Minor. People from different linguistic backgrounds, different stories, different families of origin different histories and yet sharing that common thread of being made in the image of God thank you that you sent believers 
to bring a message in a way that the hearers would understand. Thank you, Lord, for your power. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you call and equip and send out. God, we thank you for your written word. Thank you for the treasure and the gift that you've given to us as you reveal yourself through your word. Thank you for the living word, your son, King Jesus, who shows us who you are, reveals yourself and your ways and your purposes to us. We pray that as we go as ones who are sent out and commissioned by the King on mission from you, that we would go with that equipping and that power. Lord, help us to not hunger and thirst after the things of this life, but to hunger and thirst after your kingdom and your righteousness. And Lord, as we commit ourselves to prayer and to fasting, we do anticipate you speaking to us in specific ways to call us, to tell us who we are, to help us to confront those obstacles that might prevent us from following your leading this week. We pray as a church and ask that you would direct us and guide our steps. We want to be led by you and used by you in your kingdom mission. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.